So songs aside, when you guys were in the studio cutting the tracks, um, how much uh, time or work was put into what the arrangements would be and, you know, uh, where a solo might come in and those kinds of choices? Well, you know, um, if you listen to a lot of the uh, of the original meter stuff, there weren't that many solos, you know, or they, they were all keyboards, mostly all keyboard solos. Um, there were a few guitar solos, but not, you know, um, I believe that we were pretty quick uh, uh, as far as, you know, if usually, like I said, we're given, we've given, a, uh, they give us a four or five day week of uh, 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 block to work. And um, because usually on Friday mornings, we getting on the road to drive somewhere, you know, so we might be in, the, might be uh, at home from Monday to Thursday, you know, and Friday we on the road. So in that block, we have to cut a record. So, you know, uh, pretty much we got that record recorded, you know, got the beds anyway, you know, now, like I said, um, Leo and Zig will spend more time in the studios, you know, after the, the actual tracks are done, especially in the days when once we got into multi-tracking, you know, anything after 71, you know, we were dealing with multi-tracks. Well, actually, um, Cabbage Alley was done in 1970, I believe. That was a multi-track studio. That was a multi-track session. Um, um, you know, the first three records, uh, although we were in the favor studio for Look A Pie Pie album and the, and the Strutton record, they were multi multi track studios, but we weren't allowed to do any overdubbing. As I remember, I maybe we may, maybe vocals might have got in the overdub, but we were kind of like, um, you know, parts. You know, they might have been maybe on the strutting record. Leo might have been might have added maybe a two or a second guitar part, but it wasn't. You know, Marshall wasn't. You know, he was kind of strict about us playing. You know, recording what we could play at one time you know so everything you can play that's what we're gonna put on tape you know mm -hmm. we're not stacking stuff we never wasn't into stacking stuff he wasn't into that and that was one of the things that he did that was you know that was really good but we lost we lost control of that by the time we got into um into c saint studios where you know well you know some of them songs there might be three four guitar parts you know um, you know, because, you know, because we had the ability to do it at that time, to, to play parts and have intermingling, have a parts that, that tied together that you couldn't play all at one time. You had to piece it together and then, then, then learn it later, you know. Can you call out a few songs that you're particularly proud of uh, that are among your favorites and, and why? And also, was there one or two albums that you thought, you know, really just were the the works? Well, I mean, I think I think my favorite albums are probably the first three, the first three records. I, I, I mean, I really, <laughs> really enjoyed those instrumental things. And, um, and you know, like, uh, I believe Rejuvenation was a good record. It was uh, um, it it didn't get a shot. Uh, um, and and the New Directions album was also a, a a a very a very well thought out record. You know more than 
I think um, the project with New Directions album with David um, David Rubinson actually being the producer, actually being in the studio, actually making calls and input on how we play a song, um, you know, was probably the most commercial uh, um, record of commercial value than any of the uh, previous recordings, but because the band broke up on an airplane going home after the session, you know, the record label didn't didn't do much for it. You know? Right, and that was 1977, I think, and he had done all the producing of Herbie Hancock's records, among others. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he, one of the first things came out of his mouth the first day in the studio when he, when he came in, uh, 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 he said, he tell, he just said, I'm not sure what I'm gonna be doing with you guys because I've been listening and listening and stealing ideas from y'all for years. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because he did that, he did the uh, you know the the Prentice sister record was the um, Yes We Can Can. He uh, you know he 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 can he got that directly from the Yes We Can Can we did with Lee Dorsey uh, a couple of years earlier. You know, and and he said, man, he's been listening to the meters. You know, he's he was a fan. You know. Well, that's. Great though, if you get matched up with someone like that that has a you know an understanding of what you're about. So yeah, well, you when know, you get with mean, a big was, label, was, you know, they fix you up with a producer who really doesn't know. Right, right, exactly. I'm, but the, you know, again, uh, we got the, to go with David because the band had pretty much said that we wasn't we weren't recording with Marshall Sion anymore and Alan. You know, I mean, Alan was getting a bad rap on the fact but the the fact that he wasn't in the studio the record label thought he was the record label thought that he was involved and um and he wasn't and uh and 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 um and the band was just you know kind of sick of marshall and his bull so you know so we just said we wasn't going to do no more recording we was we was we had, we had just stopped and unless they got us a different producer and that that voice was coming more from Zig and Leo because um, they were the ones that was actually in there arguing and fighting with, you know, with Marshall and stuff, you know, about, about, about publishing and, and about, you know, about the whole dog on nine yards that, you know, for truth of the matter, I mean, again, like I said, I was too loaded to know, you know, to, to care about any confrontational stuff because I didn't want to do nothing that was going to mess with my high. You, mm -hmm. Y'all arguing, that's, that messes up my high. I don't want to, uh-uh, bye, I'm out of here, you know? And, uh, um, you know, and so, I mean, that was just a part of my addiction. That was that was what it was. Uh, um, I have no, um, I see, I'm not ever embarrassed by the fact that that was choices that I made that, you know, um, because, um, I'm not sure. I, I did after a few years ago. A few years ago, I thought that maybe the band fell apart because there was a voice missing in um, in, in in the development or the continuing the continuing development of the band, and um, and because because the, there was there wasn't no one there to find a space for everybody to hold on to that, you know, the band fell apart. Um, and that would have been my voice that I took out of the, out of the, I took out of the equation. Uh, um, and I blamed myself 
for years for not being a part of that, you know, not taking some concern about what we what I was seeing happening and and how I could if I could, if I could help make a, a different outcome. But, you know, how you say it was too late, you know, too little, too late, or too late, too little, or something like that. You know, that those thoughts. Uh, um, and it's it's always easy to, to come up with, with thoughts after the fact, you know, that, you know, or, or if we if we would have done this or if we would have done that, you know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. that's the other. Yeah, <laughs> that one, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that plane ride where the breakup happened. You know, what, what exactly transpired? There wasn't much about it. You know, it, it was, uh, um, you know, we were told, we were told that um, on the flight coming home that Art was quitting the band. And, uh, you know, that was it. That was pretty much it. Art was, Art was quitting the band. Zig and Leo had conversations with Cyril about whether he was going to stay on board because um, there was rumor that that we was they was going to release a, um, a single. The single was going to debut on Saturday Night Live. And, um, you know, so there was there was there was rumor about that happen. And uh, and I believe it was going to either be Be My Lady or Name Up in Lights. That was the rumor. Both of those songs, Cyril sang. So, you know, uh, um, so Zig and Leo was the writers of both of those songs, but, you know, Cyril was the singer. So, you know, the, the band was, you know, uh, um, Zig and Leo was, you know, trying to make sure that Cyril was going to be on board and, uh, and, and, and do, do the thing. And he was all the way up until a week before we were leaving to go to New York to do the show. Then he decided that he wasn't going to do the show. That he wasn't. He was going to stick with his brother. Mm-hmm. And so we went on Saturday Night Live with uh, David Baptiste Senior on keyboards, and uh, and Ziggs, and we did Name Up and Lights, and Ziggs sang it. And that was that. From there, I guess the rest of it is history. <laughs> the rest of it is in, in the history books. You know that Saturday Night Live appearance. That's actually uh, how I discovered the meters. Really, I mean, I had heard some of the cuts previously, but it was that appearance, you know, cause I was like in middle school, you know, or something like that at the time. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, just getting my feet in terms of, you know, what music I was really going to be into. And, um, you know, it was into people like the Ohio players and, and bands like that and saw the meters on there. I was like, and how did I not know more about these guys, you know? And, yeah. uh, I bought the uh, New Directions album and I really liked it. And so then from there I went back and it's kind of ironic and a bit maybe tragic in a way that when I got on board was sort of like the end of it really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's interesting to hear you tell that side of it because of my experience with it too. Yeah. So, after the band broke up, you know, how, how long of a period was it until you, you know, got busy with other stuff or, you know, what, what happened right in the aftermath of that for you? The immediate aftermath of that, uh, of the meters breaking up was me just getting deeper and deeper into my cocaine use and, um, and, 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 and starting to, I was playing, I was playing uh, on the street uh, uh, in the French quarters with David Lasty and, and his brother. Walter, um, 
you know, we were playing, you know, anything from uh, from traditional jazz. How long was it until you sort of uh, got your footing back a little bit and started doing more again? Uh, well, you know, I didn't do less. Uh, when after after we got home and 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 it, and it, it wasn't it wasn't um, you know I contacted David Lasty almost immediately, and uh, and when I got home, because um, you know it got to it got to you know before even when uh, I'm say those last two years of our band when we would come home off the road, I would go play those gigs with David and uh, and his brother Walter. And um, because that was, it was, you know, it was an outlet for me to play something else other than what I was playing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that even works today for me. I just still do that kind of stuff as an outlet of get to get away from what I play, what I get paid to play, you know, um, to play some other music. Um, uh, when I joined uh, um, um, David's band, you know, we were playing, you know, street music. We were playing, um, you know, traditional jazz, um, um, jazz music. <laughs> and we played tons of, uh, of um, you know, R&B, R&B, the little Sonny Jones and the Fast Dominoes and the Huey Smith and the Clown. And we were actually doing some shows where, um, you know, where, where the um, jazz festival would hire David's band to back up Huey Smith, black up little Sonny Jones, you know. Uh, the backup some of this. There was another another guy. I can't remember what his name was. We used to he used to. Um, he was another artist very similar to like Fast Domino, um, but he was a stand up singer. And uh, and actually he um, David um, David Thalmu actually produced him, I believe. But he would put out two versions of the same song. Fast would put out that one version, and then he would put another version out with that guy. You know. Um, 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 but you know, so we were we were doing those kind of shows for jazz festival, or uh, or uh, 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 you know, or for some you know like some of the other little similar things, similar to like the Ponderosa Stomp or something like that. Um, and um, and I was I got heavily involved in, in into playing those gigs, and it was just for me it was just playing gigs. It was just playing music. I was just you know it was an outlet to me to play music. To earn money to keep up with my drug habit, you know. So, you know, because I didn't see myself going in the eight to five. <laughs> well, I wasn't. I wasn't going to work in somebody's kitchen, you know. So, I was. I was a musician, and I. And I. I like I said, I uh, evenly deep into the drugs and, and alcohol that I got into. I managed to keep my musical. There wasn't a question of who's going to show up. To the gigs, but then it did get that way. It got that way somewhere, probably in, in the early parts of uh, of '88, when, um, well, after David Lasty passed away, Walter passed away, his brother passed away a couple of years earlier. But um, when David passed away, uh, then there was uh, a drummer, a wonderful drummer, James Black. He passed away, and um, at at James Black's funeral. I was told later that um, there was a group of musicians standing around talking about, you know, who's going to do, who's who's next. Oh, like a Deadpool. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's called. And uh, and and 
and the first name came off the top of one of the guys' names was my name. You know, it says Porter. You know, he's gonna be the next one. He's the next. And um, but that didn't stop me. It was probably another two or three months before I actually um woke up on a on a sofa and uh, and my mom and them with the um the doctors or the hospital people, you know, taking me to Bowling Greens to do do this treatment. Wow. So let's jump back for a moment um, before moving forward again. Um, what, what was it like opening for the, the Rolling Stones and being on, on that tour in the mid-70s? And could you also, George, talk about some of the other, um, you know, records or people you've performed with? I, I mean, I think you were on um, Lady Marmalade. Um, and what other things have you been on and what was it like playing with the Rolling Stones? Well, the experience of playing with the Rolling Stones is probably, um, it could be almost tragic, tragic, mostly because you are, the opening band in front of the Stones are usually hated, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, in, in France, man, they, the Jagger and, and Keith had to come out on stage and quieten people down and they were throwing shit at us, you know, <laughs> you know, they, you know, what, what are, what are y'all doing here? You know, it's, there was, they wasn't very happy with us. And, um, that was only 76 year old on European tour, the 75 European, uh, 75 us tour. Um, we were getting write-ups like, you know, like, um, four eloquently, you no, know, five eloquently dressed black men come out on the stage playing cowbells and, and chanting, something or something like that you know uh, um we used to open our set with fire on the volume where we would come out playing just cowbells and work our way to the instruments on stage and and then and then play um in the states we were we got a better reception in the states all got just totally ignored i remember and we played in memphis in this football field in the stadium and and it was like looking out at a city you know, it was, I don't know, 170,000 people, you know, and, and, and you can see and you can look out over the over the thing and maybe about six rows of people in front of you that was paying attention to what you were doing. But then there was 55,000 people <laughs> care less. You know, it was like it was, it was I mean, I would think that would be traumatic. <laughs> uh, 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 um, if anything, oh, I mean, the only thing that numbed that ignore that ig that ignorance part of it was the fact that I was so damn high, <laughs> you know. So it was like, wow, they don't care. We up here, okay. So far, later part, <laughs> just play my little get, just play my instrument and just get through the set, you know. Um, there there are probably moments of the of the stone things that would for me that was that was cool. I thought the one, the one, the one thing that I thought was really cool, or uh, it was happening. I got to actually go on stage and play with the band for uh, uh, for an, part of the encore because Bill had already gotten in his limo and had left the site, and Eric Clapton had convinced Keith and the band to go back on stage and play an encore. 
which they, do, they normally didn't do. They would normally go off the stage and get in the vehicles and split. Well, Eric, Eric had grabbed those guys, you know, and they got them. They decided to go back on stage. They're on stage and there's no bass player. And I'm standing in the wings looking, and, and, you know, and Keith kind of just gave me the high sign. So I just grabbed Bill's bass and started playing. Well, when they, somehow they got a hold of Bill and they brought him back to the site, when he came running up on stage, I'm already playing his instrument on stage with his band. He runs out and he, and he sees me playing. So he backs out, you know, he just stays away. But, you know, the, for the rest of, for another, you know, four or five, uh, what, it might have been another two or three weeks into the tour, I was banned from backstage. I couldn't go up on the stage. You know, it was like, I, you know, so, you know, I mean, I had to, me and Bill had a conversation about it, you know, for the, towards the very end of the tour, I was allowed back on stage, but I, I was also told him that I would never go on stage and play as bass again. <laughs> you know, that was, that was, if I have anything memorable about the Rolling Stones tour, that would be something that would, I would be considered very, very, um, you know, very powerful and inspirational in the fact that that Paris and Paris when this, when Keith and uh, and Jagger came out on stage and told the audience, man, if y'all just listen, you know, y'all will like these guys. And after after that, uh, you know, we played three nights there, and that was the first night. The second two nights we had no trouble. You know, that many people listening and enjoyed, and you know, and the nice always. You never know the applause that you get at the end of the set is because you played well or you're going. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they go! Yeah! <laughs> you tell yourself because you're playing. <laughs> that reminds you know, uh, George. I was actually uh, there when Prince opened for the Rolling Stones in 1981 at the LA Coliseum, and they threw stuff at him, and he got booed off stage. And so I hadn't realized that it sort of had occurred earlier with the Stones with the Meters. So. Even, uh, I guess that was five years later. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So who are some of the other, um, you know, big names, especially on record that you might have um, played with that viewers would be familiar with? Well, you know, we did, we did, we did the, um, the, like the comeback for Dr. John with the Right Place, Wrong Time album. We, we, you know, we did that record and went out and, uh, and, did a little short tour with him on that on um, um, to support that that the release of that record um, as the, as the, as his band. But um, um, there was you know there wasn't a whole lot lot to be you know remembered about that stuff. You know it was you know there were there were some good gigs and there were some bad gigs. You know there's you know because you know it was like at the time in that particular artist's life. You know, and and where we were and where he was, and uh, you know, and he was out supporting the record that he wasn't very you know yet comfortable with. You know, so it, so it it, it kind of obviously was obvious that um, that that wasn't the right time to do that record. You know, to go out and perform that record yet. You know, but, um, and I think that's what happens a lot of times with a lot of artists. It also. It happened with a, another young man, uh, uh, Richard Newman. Uh, uh, I believe he, everybody knows him as King Biscuit Boy. You know, we did we did a Allen produced a record with him. We played the record, and uh, our record labels got together, and they put us on a on a five day tour with him, 
uh, us and um, Junior Walker. And um, and man, it was like uh, Richard was dropped into a, a, a into like a, a hot a hot fire a hot a, a frying pan, you know, because you know he 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 wasn't comfortable with the music, uh, um, you know, and and the band the band you know and the, and the thoughts was that the band would play three or four songs and then we'd bring Richard out and we'd play you know so he had an hour set. The whole set was an hour. We would play 20 minutes and he'd play the last 40 minutes of the set. And, um, you know, you know, people would, uh, um, you know, he was he was not well received. People with Encore, Encore, they want the meters to come back and play <coughs> and not him. It was his gig, you know. Hmm. He, you know, I just thought that, you know, where I sat and where I thought my thoughts was that he just was not comfortable with the music enough to um, to present it as well as you know as you know as good as that record was. He just never, you know, it was a, a good R and B record, and Richard wasn't an R and B singer. You know, he wasn't an R and B artist. You know, he was a blues guy. You know, and um, so you know he was just taken out of his element. The record label thought they could have they sent him to Allen. Uh, um, and I'm not sure what they was expecting from it, but what they got was a good record, but not they didn't give a have didn't have a happy artist because of the record. Hmm. You know, so that, I mean, you know, the the Pratt and LaBelle session was you know a, another I thought was a wonderful record. It went real real well. Uh, um, it was um, one of those sessions that most of the music was dictated. You know. Uh, um, the, um, we went through three drummers to do that record. Um, Zig, we started out with Zig. Zig and Alan wasn't clicking. Uh, we've got Jans Black. Jans Black and Alan didn't click, and Herman Ernest ended up. The song Lady Marmalade got recorded by three different drummers. Hmm. And um, until this day, I still say that the version that came out was Zigaboo, but um, Herman, Herman says that was his, that was him. And even Zig says that's that's not him. That was that's that was that was Herman, you know. So I don't know which one of those guys played <laughs> the record that's out. I don't know who that is, you know. I just I think it's Zig, though, my friend. I'm gonna need to be gone shortly. <laughs> okay, how much more time do you have? Uh, you know, another fifteen minutes or so. That's fine. That's perfect. Um, so in this time. You know, George, let's talk a little bit more about what you've done more recently. So, more recently, um, my you know my life in the last few years have, have been mostly um, based around uh, um, my running partners band. That's you know um, that has been around for a good 27, 28 years now. Uh, um, the um, the guitarist Brent Anderson has been in the band for well over twenty five years. The keyboardist Mike Limbler uh, has been in the band for about 19 years, well, um, um, and and the drummer now has been in the band for seven years, and his name is Terrence Houston, and that's that's a four-piece band. Um, and whereas there was at one time a saxophone player, Chris Rural, he comes and kind of comes and goes whenever he's available. He can, you know, he's like a well um, sought-out saxophone player, so you know. He gets calls and he goes out. You know, when he comes back, he says, um, 
can I play any dates I can play on? In fact, I'm using them this week on a date. So um, then there's a, a, a Porter Trio, like I told you about earlier, that I'm, I've been recording that band live every Monday for the thing. And, and that band, is, is I'm excited about the idea of that band because it's um it's new music it's absolutely new 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 music um it's not um not necessarily um elements of music that's out there it's like it's um well i like to think it's not that possible elements out there i don't you know i don't know who terence is listening to us when he's not playing when, or when he's playing somewhere else i don't know what mike lets listens to when he's not you know, I know they both play other kind of gigs other than mine. So, you know, so there's a serious chance that their their musical influences are coming from other neighborhoods and what they're bringing to what I'm hearing. Uh, um, but um, when we play together, as the music um, is um, very open, very free, and um, and it's off the top of the head. You know, and it's you knowing like like I can see the first. 45 to 50 minutes of that gig is, um, you know, off the top of our heads. It's, it's the music don't have a name. It's just a, a couple of, a series of maybe three to four pockets that, you know, that could be, can, um, that could be spelled out to be a song at some point. You know, I just need to spend some time up here in the studio and <laughs> start listening to some of these gigs. Sort it out, right? Yeah, I, gotta, I need to do that, you know. Yeah, I love the uh, imp improvisational stuff that you've done for so many years now. I mean, and with so many different configurations, but usually always great players, you know, whether it's Johnny or, or Brian or, you know, the guys you're working with now, it's all just really good stuff. Um, anyone who has not gotten into that, I can say that almost anything with uh, George's name on it is worth listening to. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, it's, it's fun, you know, like, like you say, the, the improv stuff, you know, I, I, I've been doing stuff like with Soul Live and, and we play, we play, you know, they, they all, the song list that Eric always sent me has always has meter songs in it, you know. So, um, you know, I've gotten to the to the point where uh, um, when we play those meter songs, you know, the band just have to look out because I'm going to take them somewhere else, you know. I'm gonna tell you, you know, you know, we done played the song. Now we on this track. Now we on, we are on a different track. We just made a big right turn, you know. And we're getting ready to go somewhere else, you know. And I'll take them somewhere else. And always at the end of the night, you know, they're they're always smiling and say, "Man, that's, that's so interesting," you know, because just on the fly, just on the spur of the moment, you know, I take them somewhere else, you know. And uh, and 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 one of the things about some of the players that uh, most of the players that I play with these days, these days, a lot of the young players they listen, so they listen to what's everything that's going on around them, you know. And when, when, if you're listening, you can. There's things, you know, like you know, like Snooks used to tell me a long, long time. If you pay attention, Porter, you're gonna learn something, you know. And and you know, and I lived, I lived to that, you know. I live, I lived to that. And you know, and sometimes I'm the teacher, and sometimes I'm the student. You know, and I'm, but I'm paying attention, even in this my own thing. I'm paying attention, you know, because, you know, because uh, um, my drummer might make make some statements that, you know, that whoa, maybe I should, yeah, and I'm gonna get on that statement, you know. And now, you know, if you listen to some of my old tapes from them live things, I'll, I mean, I holler over at challenge like, stay there or keep that, you know. And that's because I mean, what he just did is something I like, 
you know, and then I'll I'll do something to fit that, you know, and then automatically Mike has to change, you know, he has to reroute himself to fit into the thing that me and Terrence had just gotten into, you know, and that's, you know, that's just comes with listening to each other. On, on some level, George, you think it's a bit of like kind of railing against or rebelling against, you know, those uh, charts that you had to do years ago and those tight little, you know, two minute, two and a half minute songs. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> it may be. I mean, I, I mean, I said, I admit today, I think that the meters might have been the first jam band out there on the planet, you know, because I mean, when we went on the road in, 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 in 68 and 69 and 70, um, you know, we were playing off of records that uh, out the three albums that were came out, the longest song on any of those three albums was two minutes and 35 seconds long, you know, but we were playing four hour gigs. <laughs> you know? So we, we had to, you know, Sissy Strut took on a whole new meaning, you know, it was, it was seriously long, you know. Wow. So what, uh, what did, what advice might you have for somebody who's just starting out to play bass? Uh, what's the, you know, what are a couple of the keys to really being, um, I mean, we talked about the listening part of it, obviously that's huge. Um, but what other advice could you give to an aspiring bass player? Well, I mean, you know, I think that the more knowledge you have of your instrument, you know, the, the working knowledge of your instrument, how, how, how you and your instrument work together, you know, um, you know, developing a sound. People say, you know, always say uh, your sound, you know, but um, I, I've never, I've never ever have been able to take credit for my sound, you know, unless it's in a live position, in a live performance, because my sound on record was, you know, was, created by whoever that engineer was, you know, whoever engineered that record, the bass sound that's on record, that's the one, that's the sound that he settled for, you know, that's the sound that he made, you know, made the record happen, you know, so, you know, so that wasn't necessarily me, you know, the only thing I could take credit for is my performance, not the sound, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, in live, in a live world, than the sound that I happen to have on stage. Again, there's an engineer out front of me that's just doing the mixing on his stuff, you know? So he has a, he has the opportunity to change whatever I'm doing on stage because I don't play off the stage loud, you know, to the point where the, um, you know, the people in that front row, the knowledge, the knowledge of, of your instrument, the knowledge of, 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 of playing with other people, um, the awareness of what goes on around you in the music. You know, because I, I, I'm a firm believer, uh, something that Alan Toussaint used to always say, that it's not what you play, it's what you don't play that makes a piece of music really well. So it is, you know, so, and to break that down to simple, simple thoughts is that it ain't about how many notes you play. You know, it's about the space that you leave between those notes. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, where somebody else can say something. You know, it's a statement, so you're not taking up all the space with your voice. Um, 
And you know, and the other part I think is, is the simplest and the most simplest part is that when you when you invited to go somewhere musically, um, are you a guest in somebody else's in somebody else's music? You know, um, leave your check your check your ego at the door. Uh, ego, not ego, <laughs> ego. <laughs> I thought you said ego. <laughs> or ego, if you know. Check your ego at the door. <laughs> you better check both at the door. <laughs> so, uh, lastly, George, um, and, and I think this really applies a lot to what you're saying about bass in general. But what do you think makes uh, funk music so special? And what does funk music mean to you? I, you know, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't really don't have an answer for that because, you know, um, you know, funk music at, at some point has has taken on so many different, you know, um, thoughts. You know, uh, um, you know, I, I believe I don't believe that you can, you know. East Coast, West Coast, North and South, you know, all of these areas have what their version of what's called funk. You know, so um, you know, the, the the funk of Jans Brown is is not the same funk of Earl King or or or, or the Meters. You know, the uh, the the funk of 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 of, of um, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, although they. Pretty much turned into a pop band, uh, um, but their original funk was definitely not the funk of any way, anything that was in the South, you know, or anything that was meter. But it, it it was considered funk, you know. P funk, the the band P funk, George Clinton, them. Uh, although some of their some of their stuff has that Southern feel of the, the Jans Brown era, uh, um, musically. But you know, by the time they moved to LA and started doing the LA concept of, of thing that changed too you know so i mean i you know it depends on what neighborhood you're in i would guess you know um new orleans funk i think had to had to do more with the syncopation uh uh uh, uh, uh on, and you know and what's not played and what's intended or playing and playing uh in or around the one instead of on it all the time you know we didn't play on one we play and one or one and you know, um, so those kind of things, you know, I think is uh, um, is what we did here in New Orleans, uh, uh, what the meters did really well. Although we sort of changing our ideas uh, um, as the primary songwriters started thinking more commercially, you know, trying to try, you know, trying to write songs that com compete in the commercial community. Uh, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 I think the, the non-success of the band's music in the industry had more to do with, um, um, with how it was perceived by record labels slash, um, the, um, the management, you know, how it was presented, you know. I believe that I, I seriously, until this day, I believe that management wanted uh, didn't want us to become big, um, because at that point, then they would have to start paying us to be Alan Two Cents House Band. You know, I, I I really do think that management did everything that they could to keep us on the back end of of popularity. 
you know. Um, by the time Warner Brothers got a hold of us, you know, I'm not sure if Warner Brothers was getting, uh, um, I believe the music that was being sent to Warner Brothers was good. Uh, was good. It had some serious merit. I thought Rejuvenation had had serious merit, uh, um, musical hits in there. Uh, uh, I mean, some of the songs in Fire on the Bible. Not, not, not that I remember all of the names of them, um, but there was some. There were some good songs in there. There were some good songs in there that could compete. Have could have con competed in the popular music market. Uh, it just was never sent. Never put out there. You know. The song on the the um the recording the trick bag album with the um with the cover songs on it um the, the version of our version of come together I thought was great <laughs> you know McCartney thought it was great you know but it never got heard you know it said so you know and like I said the last one the, the, the um, Rejuve, um the, um new directions they had they had three maybe four song four songs on that record that could have been you know popular music. But, um, you know, because of the band splitting up and the record label saying, you know, so we've spent enough money on this. We're not going to spend it anymore. And we dropped it, you know. Well, in that, in that vein, George, so, you know, as, as you look back at the legacy, I think through the, the, the time that's transpired, you know, a lot more respect and credit and recognition has gone to the original meters. Um, hopefully you agree with that. Um, so do you feel some sense of um i don't know if reward is the right term but but pride and and gratefulness that over time um that body of work has has gained this recognition well i'm 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 very pleased and honored the fact that that um 50 years after we recorded sophisticated sissy um and all sissy strut I am still allowed or of able to work those all based off of those off of that music. Um, yes, I, I'm good. I, you know, we've been uh, and we've been uh, um, nominated to be in, inducted into the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame four times, yeah. um, and we've never ever made it above last place. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I voted for you this year. <laughs> when I looked at it the other day, we were at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the list with like I mean I think two percent of the vote, you know. So um, you know, and and some of the, and they got they got seven or eight of those bands in that list. I ain't never heard of. You know? <laughs> so, so I was saying, who's that? <laughs> you know, but that's you know that's not it. I mean, I I don't think that. Well, I mean, I I would think that. That having having those having a honor like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is something that's with fits. So I have a wall, I have a space somewhere in this room that 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 would fit. You know, that plaque would fit on the wall. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I don't believe that that um that that induction is going to make much difference in my life. Uh, um, as far as um, you know what we have accomplished and what we have not accomplished. You know, uh, um, I, I think what we have accomplished outweighs what we have not accomplished. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that um, 50 years later, we are still able, when the original band get together. Now I believe, I, I never say never, 
but I believe that the original band has probably seen its last day. Um, the performances on Jam Cruise earlier this year. Um, well, no, it wasn't Jam Cruise. It was there was one after that in um, LA. But I, I believe I believe that that was probably was the last performance of of, of the band. Um, um, you know, because Art is very ill. He's not he's not very healthy. Um, and again, once again, the the membership is um, back to not getting along again. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, so when you know when with those two elements is enough of a reason for one to, for for me to say that it's you know it's easier for to walk away from something that's you know to to, to walk away from something that uh, and say you know some we should go we should leave while we all somewhat still like each other you know we, we shouldn't go out burning up in flames like so many super bands have done you know going up in public eye blowing up you know and stuff we sh that shouldn't happen i wouldn't i don't want to see that happen to these guys and you know i, I love all those guys and i you know i i respect all of them but you know i hate to see um the fact that they're not getting along you know and it's and it's not me i'm not the person that's not getting along and I ain't gonna name who it is, but it's the um, you know I just don't want to see that inner circle non cooperation be public. Sure. I think that's the last thing I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and the 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 influence that the band has had on so many and continues to have uh, is just astronomical you know and um on behalf of all the fans and listeners you know thank you so much very grateful for all the uh, terrific uh enjoyment you've given us uh, through all the music through the years um and you know it's great to see too is like great music still coming out of that area you know with your you know galactics and your trombone shorties and all these guys um you know, a lot of good music still coming out of New Orleans, no doubt about that, and a lot of it's very funky still. So yeah, man, there's, there's going to be some more coming from George Porter Jr. <laughs> so George, uh, how can people uh, best keep up with what you're doing? Keep up with you? What are the uh, you know well, Facebook? I, mean, I, have, I have I have a, 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 a website, georgeporterjr.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I don't know what that call letter is um, um but i believe if you put in george porter jr that there's two sites there's one is a fan page there's a friend page and then there's a fan page the friend page has already reached this five thousand limit and um but people are dropping off you know so when they drop off i'm able to add somebody but for the most part the the, the fan page is the one that's you know that's unlimited at this point and um you know and and I, I i do i don't visit every day but usually um i i, I go you know i try to check my messages and then there's some there's people that sec checks messages you know that checks the site all the time and contacts me and say that, that you've got messages on facebook you need to go take care of and i get those i get that information just about daily you know that I should do it. Sometimes I go get it as immediately as they tell me that they may have to send me. I told you go check it. <laughs> so then I go do it. You know, but um, 
but yeah, that, those are probably the two best ways to, to, to reach me. Uh, um, we're in the process of uh, rechanging strength. Once again, I'm in the in the managerial switchover, uh, um, and um, and you know, so there's some stuff that's going to fall off the wayside for a little bit, but just for a short period of time. But um, I believe I believe that the calendar on my personal web page keeps up with all the gigs that I'm doing and um and and should be um I don't have a um a public Google calendar right now the Google calendar I do have is um mostly for keeping the band and management and booking agency and area I haven't figured out how to do a public Google calendar yet that you know that I have information for public just the public to see you know I have to figure out exactly how to do that well Actually, I shouldn't have to do that. It should be the manager. <laughs> there you go. That'll be one of the definite duties in that role. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, hang tight. I'm going to do a sign off. And so thank you again so much. It's time to wrap up this edition of Truth and Rhythm. Huge thanks again to my special guest, Mr. George Porter Jr., bassist for the Mighty Mighty Meters, New Orleans Funk Originators. Thank you so much for sharing your time and experiences again, George. Also, sincere thank you to our viewers and listeners. Be sure to look out for upcoming episodes of Truth and Rhythm um, at FunkyStuff.net and on YouTube. Also, the uh, podcast and iTunes and other leading providers. We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at ScottG at FunkyStuff.net. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see on the show. With that, until next time, on behalf of George Porter Jr., this is Scott, Dr. Jix Goldfine, as always, saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. All right. <laughs>